0: Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is January 20th, also known as Lockout Day 50. We have gone 50 days since MLB has locked out the players. I don't know how we've survived this far. I'm Dave Gasper, joined once again by Matt Carroll. We are that, is at ReviewingTheBrew.com. After a week away from the pod, Matt, a very important week you missed oh
1: don't rub it in oh it was terrible i know um like you said work emergency no way out of it um and of course it's the week that friggin joey weimer is on um i listened to it afterwards the interview was great um so you. hope you had a great time uh, i did have but, a but uh yes and by the way i did hear at the end you rubbing my nose and <laughs> the uh vote over the favorite brewers so don't think i missed that um i know uh, you said you might be nice and not bring it up but
0: i'm bringing it up so you brought it up yourself all you right win. So, so i am yep. the big champion you are the um, champion I, I i drafted the better team i i don't know man i i think when uh, in the first round when i took gogo and then you followed up with trevor hoffman i'm like eh, i don't know I, uh, I don't I know did, about Hoffman as, as my first rounder, you know, I did not understand the assignment. Apparently I was uh,
1: not prepared. I felt like I finished very strong, but just wasn't enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You did finish strong, you know, Dillard, RCS, Suter, Perez. I and mean, those are some, are some big dudes, but I mean, Love them. I started with Gogo, Aguilar, Adamus, Hank Aaron, and Niger Morgan. I mean, that's, yeah,
1: that's, that's hard to overcome. Yeah. And, the, the early draft picks are the most important, let's
0: be honest. Exactly. Exactly. We we know how the how the draft goes and your first rounder can really set the tone and, and make or break your entire team. And I love Hoffman, don't get me wrong, but in in this type of draft, he's uh not not a first round talent. Right. Not so much. Yeah. If I mean if, if we were Padres fans, if this was a Padres podcast, then sure. Oh, you yeah. know, like, absolutely. Cause I mean, he spent everything over there pretty much.
1: Maybe it's cause it was close to, or maybe the end of the peak of when I was going to
0: like several Brewers
1: games a year. Um, and I just, I, I caught that hell's bells in the back of my head in the first round and I got excited. I made a, I made a Bears trading for Mitch Trubisky type first round move. Let's yeah. be honest. It's just, <laughs> Just got too excited about someone who just who who wasn't the right pick at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too early on the board to uh to be taking that guy um, with with Aguilar, Adamas, Pina on the board. I mean, that's it's mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all right. But, yeah, it's like trading up for for Trubisky and like, hey, Patrick Mahomes is right there. But oh, that's nah. okay. We really want this guy who played one year in college. And looked yeah, kind of good. Who couldn't even win the starting job at North Carolina until <laughs> his junior year. Yeah, well. Poor guys. Poor guys. Anyways, but I mean, I, I would say enough beating up on the Bears, but can you really ever have enough of that?
1: No, and for those no. who are unaware, I am unfortunately a self-hating Bears fan as it is. And yeah. so I'm 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 here still throwing shade myself because. Throwing well, smoke. Let's, let's be honest. Even as a fan of that team, you should be making fan of that uh, ridiculous excuse for a franchise. Here's the thing, though, and I've 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 had this discussion with some people. Um, I, you know, I've been I my NFL fandom is weird. I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, my mom was a Bears fan. My uh, dad was a Vikings fan. So those were the two teams I had to kind oh, of choose man. between. Um, Ray, right? Terrible. And actually, I actually grew up so far north that our local programming was out of Duluth, Minnesota. So we saw Vikings games in our household. Mm-hmm. Um, I was too young to know about, um, you know, local allegiances and stuff like that. So I picked mom's team, right? But right. I grew up in uh, Wisconsin my whole life, came to appreciate the Packers, one of the very few Bears fans who will also cheer for the Packers, Must have played playing each other. But I have gone through now a lifetime of disappointment, aside from the one year they made the Super Bowl, uh, while I was uh, still actually lost. able to like pay attention to it, I was only two during the '85 season. Oh, yeah. um, meanwhile, the Packers been great, only a couple Super Bowls, but you know should have had more by now. This year, the Super Bowl is on my birthday, as as because of the uh, extra week in the schedule, that can now happen. The mm-hmm. so Super Bowl's is on my birthday. Packers are looking good this year. Packers, if they make the Super Bowl on my birthday and win a Super Bowl on my birthday, is that like a sign from above? Yes. Like, do I need to consider switching sides? I would I would I would normally never do such a thing, but I feel like that might be just too much to ignore.
0: Yes. Yes. It's definitely a sign. I think there's been signs over the past several seasons <laughs> um, in the Matt Nagy era as to why you should switch allegiances. Or the um,
1: Tressman era or the John Fox era the or Ryan Hockey Pace P- era
0: and, and yeah, uh, all those fun times. Yep.
1: We'll see what happens. Starts starts this Saturday. Uh yeah. they should win. Just don't overlook the 49ers because they match up well. But no there be no I, I reason think, they don't make it into the I think over the last
0: conference. 10 years or so in the postseason, the Packers have learned not to overlook uh <laughs> the 49ers in the playoffs I would hope so by now I would hope so Colin Kaepernick's not there anymore to run all over you but uh you still had those issues with them in 2019 Mm -hmm. um yeah but anyways this is a Brewers podcast so yes uh, yes we actually have some Brewers news this week which is incredible considering we're 50 days into a lockout we actually have some moves um But uh, it involves the coaching staff. And I talked about this a little bit at the end of last week's episode. Um, But Steve Carsey has stepped down as bullpen coach, wants to be with his family a bit more often. That's understandable. I mean, baseball is a a long season, a long time spent away from your family all throughout the year. So Carsey wants to stay at home, and um, that leaves a bullpen coach opening. And one that was filled by none other than Big Jim. Jim yeah. Henderson. Coming back. Brewers closer 2013. Had 28 saves. Had a couple years in the big leagues. Uh, retired uh, in 2018. Became a coach in the Brewers organization. Uh, was a pitching coach in rookie level Helena. Then a pitching coach in uh Low-A, Wisconsin. Then promoted to AAA pitching coach. And he's been there the last two seasons. And now the bullpen coach job opens up and Jim Henderson gets the job, man. Love it. Love to see it. We, I, I love
1: how we've seen some of these guys kind of making their way up the uh, minor league chain for the brewers and then getting rewarded with those spots. Um, and it, speaking of some of the, uh, you know, uh, favorite brewers of the past, he was one of them back then because he was, one of those guys that seemingly like his predecessor, John Axford kind of came out of nowhere, like his Canadian fellow Canadian predecessor yeah. uh, points out, um, you know, when Axford, you know, went on a successful two-year run and then kind of started faltering a little bit. It was uh, Jim Henderson who picked up the slack after that and um, became the Brewers closer for a year, 28 saves back in 2013. Um, and then he kind of uh, went downward and it was time for the next guy. Um but yeah, I just, I, I love to see that, um, get some, someone who's, you know, it, it's nice to, to see someone from the system who's familiar with, uh, some of the guys from down there already. Um, you know, like when Chris hook came up, um, he'd already worked with a lot of those younger brewers, uh, down in double a, and now you kind of have a similar story in Jim Henderson. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a great story on multiple levels.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Hook was, I mean, Hook was an incredible hire. I mean, yeah, double-A pitching coach for a couple of years, minor league pitching coordinator. Like he knew he worked with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, all as they were coming up. He, he had their trust. He had worked with them. He, he helped develop them. Um, And now that they're all at the big league level, him continuing that it, it obviously has been successful. And I think the same can go for, Uh, Jim Henderson here coming up as a bullpen coach. I mean, he worked with uh, a lot of those guys in in AAA. Those guys are going to be coming up. He worked with Jake Cousins and Miguel Sanchez and and Justin Topa and and all these guys that are uh, coming up through the system. And perhaps Luke Barker may get a shot now. Perhaps he gets a guy in his corner like Jim Henderson, you know, getting in the ear of counsel, being like, hey, there's this guy, Luke Barker, who's, like, really good. You should give him a shot. I want him in my bullpen, you know? <laughs> I'll take
1: that, absolutely. Um, I, I, I definitely, too, think it will be interesting to see. Like, he got to put in a lot of that work with uh, Ethan Small um, there mm-hmm. in AAA towards the end, and now, hopefully, we see Ethan Small kind of start to make his MLB debut, and Henderson can kind of continue some of that development for, you know, one of the highest rated pitchers in the Brewers system.
0: Yeah. And, and same goes for uh, Aaron Ashby as, as mm-hmm. well. Who's, uh, you know, cause Ashby down in AAA, he had to make the transition to the bullpen. You know, okay. Cause he came up, he was a starter all throughout. And so the Brewers like, Hey, we're going to put you in the bullpen because we want you to get more. Uh, we, we want you to get an opportunity quickly at the big league level. So he needs to transition to the bullpen who's his pitching coach down there to talk to Jim Henderson. So Jim helps him transition through. It's like, okay, here's how uh, going in the bullpen works. You know, that, that whole thing, here's how you can develop a a routine uh, out there that that can be good for you um, and help you continue to pitch. Well, because if anyone knows how to succeed out of the bullpen, it's Jim Henderson. You know, I mean, he's, he was pretty successful out of the bullpen for a couple of years there. So um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a, a great addition to the coaching staff. Uh, you know, the Brewers really seem to like him. I mean, they've moved him up the system as a pitching coach, and uh, they like having him around. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity to get him to the big league coaching staff and, and the perfect role for him. You know, I don't know if, he's, if he'd be ready for, like, you know, the, the main pitching coach job. You know, and I mean, first of all, I mean, Chris Hook is doing a phenomenal job and I don't think mm-hmm. they're going to let him go anywhere. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a great spot for him. And uh, let's not forget another coach added to the staff. Matt Erickson uh, comes up as the infield and assistant hitting coach. Now, Erickson has been the Brewers uh, minor league manager for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers for the last like 11 years ish nine i I think he's been either coach or manager for like the last 11 years uh down or up there in appleton and i mean he was a former brewers infielder had like six at bats i think at the big league (laughs) level something like that he was like one for six like he was a utility infielder came up for a handful of games in 2004 and that was it but uh he's been in the organization for a long time and now he gets an opportunity on the coaching staff yeah. Yeah.
1: Speak of someone who's seen a lot of the, uh, brewers, apparently guys, sorry, a little distracted. I've got a cat mountain climbing back behind me, apparently. Oh no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's because talking about someone who's seen a lot of the brewers, uh, young guys, yeah. Being down there in um, Wisconsin for years and years, he's seen all kinds of prospects come through, um, and help them make their way up. So I'm um, I, I imagine it would be fun for him to kind of, um, get a chance to see some of those, you know, old Corbin Burns is and Freddie Peralta's and like guys who, you know, he coached up at one point and like now hasn't seen for a few years. So that'll be really cool. And I love the fact that, um, they did end up going, you know, we've talked about the, like the different possible, like hitting coach configurations they could have after they hired, you know, the tandem in, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Timmons and, uh, Dawson, uh, they, already had talked at that point about how they were considering also bringing on an assistant. And we've seen stuff like that work in um, San Francisco and wherever. So um, I think it's going to be really cool to try something different here for the brewers. Um, Lord knows we needed to after the last couple of seasons of uh, (laughs) uh, offense, I'd say with air quotes, since we're not on actual video right now. Um, Yeah. What, what all those different perspectives can kind of do for the brewers. I think it'll be really exciting. And just, again, like just super rewarding
0: to have, you know,
1: a brewers guy in as one of those voices.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always cool to kind of see some of the the former players uh, come back and be coaches. I mean, you got council, former brewer, you got Erickson and Henderson now former brewers, uh, Quentin Barry, uh, former brewers players. So, I mean, you got a, you got a number of them on the staff, which is a uh, really great to see, but yeah, that, that hitting coach, Alignment. You got Ozzie Timmons. You got Connor Dawson uh, as, as your co-main hitting coaches. They wanted an assistant. And when Tom Hodgricourt uh, reported, that it's like, oh, they're considering Erickson on the staff. I'm like, you know, at the same time he was reporting that Carsey was stepping down. I'm like, huh, Erickson doesn't make sense as a, as a bullpen coach replacement. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, wait a minute. That assistant hitting coach job hasn't been announced yet. That'd mm-hmm. be a good spot for him. And sure enough, uh, that's a job that he gets. Speaking of Tom Hodgecourt, by the way, I think we got to mention this. Uh, Tom Hodgecourt announced on Twitter here on Thursday that he is going to be retiring as Brewers beat writer for the Journal Sentinel after 36 years. Uh, So he's going to be retiring sometime in February here. So, um, I mean, congratulations to to Tom. Uh, I mean, he's had a phenomenal career. I mean, I know he's... I know Twitter is kind of mixed on him cuz a lot of them are blocked by him but uh Tom has has been a phenomenal at his job for such a long time um and he's really uh been you know like I grew up like reading his columns in the Journal Sentinel uh, on the Brewers and especially during those those bad years in the early 2000s when I was just getting started <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, heck, even I, 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 I've got
1: a few years on you. Yeah, and even I had a red uh, Court. We, we, we had to, I think we had to get the Journal Sentinel imported in or something like that, that far <laughs> up north. But um, no, north I mean, even when hey. I was a kid, he was the Brewers guy. So um, yeah, hats off to him. Uh, I, I hope he enjoys retirement. And I'll be interested to see uh, um, who steps in now as uh, the Brewers beat writer for the Journal Sentinel. We've got, there's a ton of talented writers out there I'm sure it'll be a name we've kind of heard before, but
0: uh, it'll be interesting to see who it is. Yeah, I mean, you got Todd Rosiak already, who's like the co-beat writer. Um, So he's probably going to step up into the veteran senior beat writer role, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Um, And they'll probably backfill with uh, some talent behind uh, him, you know, perhaps hire some new guy. I don't know, but. We'll see, Um, but congratulations uh, to Tom on a phenomenal uh, career and on his uh, retirement. I hope he enjoys it, and um, it should be, uh, you know, maybe he'll unblock all those people on Twitter, too, now now that his uh, (laughs) retirement begins. He'll just clear the block list and uh, and start over. Luckily, I'm not one of the blocked people, so I'm not too worried about it, but... I'd be interested to see if he stays on Twitter
1: yeah. yeah. as a result of retirement. I'm sure he, he kind of had to be on it as part of the journal Sentinel, but uh yeah, yeah it's to, to choose to continue being involved with it. Uh, it's a bold move by some.
0: Yeah. But like every time, like I try to share something from Tom on the, on like the reviewing the Brewer account and just kind of like react to like what he said, I'd always have someone be like, what do you say? I'm blocked. I'm just like, <laughs> yep. Well, look, man, maybe you just like shouldn't have gotten yourself blocked. I don't know. Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah,
1: I don't know what you
0: want me to tell you.
1: Got to toe the line a little bit with some of the uh, uh, Twitter uh, important, like higher up writing personalities to uh, you may disagree with them, but uh, keep it a little civil so you can still see what they have to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's Twitter. Some people just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. So, yeah. So the Brewers have made a couple of uh, coaching additions. um, And we also have some player news. Um, It's not big league player news, but the international signing period opened this past week. It opened on Saturday. um, And the Brewers signed 33 players a ridiculous amount of players. Some teams only signed like eight or nine or or like 10. I think the nationals signed like 10 and they spent like 5 million of their $5.2 million bonus pool on one guy. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Some of these signings we've known well in advance for like a year or two, um, who was going where, but the Brewers have made 33 additions there are a couple of big ones uh, that we definitely need to talk about, and a couple of others that maybe aren't on the radar right now, but seem like very intriguing prospects. But uh, we got to start with the two shortstops who are atop um, both Baseball America's and MLB Pipelines list for the Brewers class. That's Johnny Severino and Johan Barrios, uh, both signed to, to contracts for the Brewers. Uh, these two guys really, I mean, they're, they're shortstops, but in both their scouting reports they say, it's like, yeah, they could size out and end up being third baseman in the future. And I mean, that's a position that the Brewers haven't really been able to uh, develop a homegrown player at in a long time.
1: Yeah. Um, definitely interesting in that sense. And um, I, I feel like a lot of these uh, international guys, they're getting, are ones who project to be eventual power hitters. It's just the ones that we've gotten previously were guys who either played outfield or catcher or kind of some of those positions. So this is the first time we've seen some possibilities of um, these young, possible future studs um, projecting to a corner infield spot. So um, yeah, for everyone who's been a prospect watcher for Lord knows how many years, um, that is something we've just been, hoping for. Um, but it, the fact that, um, just in generally before that happens, the Brewers are going after the shortstop depth again, not a surprise. Um, if you look at like, not just their international, uh, drafts, because we do have a uh, guy Eduardo Garcia currently, uh, MLB pipelines, number 12, but, uh, um, fairly, very highly touted international pick, uh, for the Brewers, um, there's shortstops all over their top 30 between Bryce Terang and Freddie Zamora Hayden Cantrell, um, Corey Howell dabbles in it a little bit, um, even though he is his primary is outfield. Um, and we've traded some other guys away when you look at, uh, David Hamilton and whatnot. So there's been other shortstop depth pieces, um, within the organization. So, um, they're kind of, it's the brewers going at their bread and butter right now, but really interesting to think that these guys could end up, uh, actually somewhere else, which would be highly beneficial for Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, the Brewers definitely have a uh, prioritized up the middle players, shortstops, center fielders, catchers uh, in-, in the international market, and really in the in the MLB draft as well. They prioritize up the middle town because up the middle guys you can move to the corners uh, if need be. Corner guys you can't really move up the middle, um, so I mean th- those guys are really valuable. Um. You know Severino and Barrios are really kind of seen as pretty close in, in terms of uh, talent. They're both kind of ranked uh, close together uh, on the big boards. Uh, Barrios, I mean, he's a right-handed hitter, six foot two, shortstop uh, from Venezuela, and the Brewers have really gone after Venezuela a lot in recent years. I mean, they have mm-hmm. a very strong presence uh, down there. I mean, last year Jackson Churio. Uh, was their big signee. They also had Gregory Barrios, who is not related uh, to to Johan uh, and Daniel Guillarte last year. Those were their three big signings. Um, But, I mean, like really good athletes, uh, strong throwing arms. So so they got the arm to play third base. um, And, and, you know, there there should be power that, that comes here from the right side. Um, you know, as he continues to fill out Severino, meanwhile, from the Dominican Republic, he's a switch hitter, uh, standing at six foot two as well. And, you know, bat speed, advanced hitter, uh, has a bunch of power. It has above average power. Um, you know, really good instincts out there. And, you know, he's got arm strength as well that could put him at third base. So, I mean, these are two guys, and I like Severino a little bit more just because he is a switch hitter. Um, so that really just kind of, like, adds to it uh, to me. And I think his bat is a little bit more polished right now. Um, but, I mean, those guys are are really interesting signings. And, I mean, the Brewers, like, you routinely look at these international uh, lists. And the Brewers generally don't have, like, one of the top five prospects you know, mm-hmm. like, like they aren't going like that big, you know, with big bonuses and, and things like that. They normally have like their top prospects somewhere around like the late teens, early 20s. Um, and like another couple shortly following that. And then just a whole bunch of players after that. The, like the Brewers go for the quantity approach. You know, figuring it's like, OK, you sign 33 players. At least a handful of them are probably going to be good you know that, that that can turn into something valuable for you. Um, you know, cuz obviously you're not going to have a 100% success rate with this. I mean, you're you're signing 16-year-olds. It, you're not going to have a 100% success rate. Um, so some of these guys they're they're not going to make it really further beyond the Dominican Summer League or or you know, rookie Arizona rookie ball. But The more players you sign, the more chances you have that someone's really going to turn out. And sometimes those guys with the lower bonuses actually end up being the better players. Because, I mean, you agree Mm -hmm. to some of these bonuses a year or so in advance. A lot can change. I mean, in 2019, Hedbert Perez was not the biggest bonus in that class. The biggest bonus was Luis Medina. And Mm -hmm. Luis Medina in his first year did not do well. He had like 200, had a whole bunch of strikeouts. Um, you know, he, he supposedly has this huge power. He's got huge raw power, but his hitting ability just isn't there. But Medina had the bigger bonus. He, he signed for like 1.4 million or something. Uh, and Hedbert Perez signed for 800,000 and Hedbert is by far the better prospect. He's actually my number one Brewers prospect right now, but we can get into that a little bit later, but like, that's just kind of the the craziness of the international market, you really kind of don't know what you're getting. So the brewers are going for quantity. It's like, we'll sign as many guys as we can and see what happens. See who, see who develops.
1: Yeah. It, teams have all kinds of different uh, approaches when it comes to this. And I, I love that it, for exactly that reason, 2019, that's I was pulling that up. Like, as you were speaking um, goes to show though, that um by going with quantity um you never know uh, especially when you're signing you know these you know 17 18 year olds um that just aren't you know fully developed yet you it, it's, like you're it's signing a junior potential. in high school
0: like they're not even right like, regular draft eligible
1: yeah it is all potential with these guys and so you have no idea what some of them can possibly blossom into and so yeah bring in a bunch of guys and this is it's a strategy that's worked out great for the brewers recently, because look at how many international prospects are starting to make uh, their top 30 prospects list all, you know, on all these different sites. And yeah, maybe some of that (laughs) speaks to um, the rest of the depth, but some of it, you know, is legit. There's guys, um, if you even go to, uh, after this international signing period, their uh, baseball, America had um, uh, um, a chat Uh, where you could ask questions uh, about a bunch of different teams and someone else had asked a question about possible top 100 guys who could make or possible guys, international guys who could make the top 100 list soon. And Jackson Churio was one of the guys that got named. So obviously like these aren't just, you know, scrubs who are looking good because it's the Brewers top 30. These are guys who are actually decently regarded prospects. And so this could be something that pays off huge for the brewers down the road and is a big step in kind of rebuilding, uh, this system form or make it, bringing it, uh, back up to kind of relevance after being one of the bottom ranked now, uh, prospect lists for uh, the last few
0: years. Yeah. And it's really been, um, crazy, uh, how they've been able to develop it. Another guy from that 2019 class, I need to mention Hefferson Cuero. Who is now like one of the Brewers' yes. top catching prospects, um, and he's like I, I saw him named as a potential uh, top 100 breakout guy this year. Like, like Baseball America had, had a list of like 12 guys outside the top 100 who could break into it this year. Jefferson Cuero was on that list. The Brewers mm-hmm. signed him for 200 thousand dollars in 2019. He was way down on the on the bonus list. He was not one of their top bonus guys, but yet all of a sudden like they get him in and it's like, wait a minute, this dude can handle a pitching staff really well. He's really advanced. And, and he can hit extremely well, the advanced hitter. And like, he's got all the stuff, great work ethic, great, um, you know, character, great makeup. All of a sudden he keeps on moving up and he gets fast tracked a little bit more. And like, you don't know that until you kind of get these guys in um, and, and are able to, to work with them. So it, like that just kind of speaks to, to the quantity approach and the Brewers do have two Dominican summer league teams. So they have two rosters down there to fill out some of these guys. I don't know if any of them will make the Arizona complex league out of the gate. I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, perhaps Severino or Barrios would, but really it's probably just going to be graduations from last year's group that moves up to, to Arizona. Mm-hmm. But like you've got two rosters down there to fill out So you kind of need quantity. You can't have a small signing class there. Otherwise, you're going to have to fold one of those teams um, and just roll with one of them. So, you know, I I think it's a strategy that makes sense. It's a strategy that has worked um, for the Brewers. And, you know, we'll kind of see what happens with some of these guys. You know, only probably probably about half of them will actually make it stateside. Um, Then probably a smaller group from there will make it to to full season ball in Carolina, and even smaller group from there is going to make it to the upper levels of the minors, and and then even smaller from that, we'll make it to the big league club. I mean, you may get one, maybe two from this class that makes it to the big leagues, Um, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. If you get more than that, I mean, that's just insane. Yeah,
1: and th- and that's exactly why you go for uh, quantity because if you only you know, bring in a few guys, if you know, unless they're the like absolute like top. But, but then, the like you're
0: banking a lot on like one guy, like, like the Nationals, uh, for example. They signed, I think, the top guy in the class, like the top bonus on the class, Roderick Arias, uh, a Cuban mm-hmm. shortstop, to like a five million dollar deal. And it's like you are banking your entire class on this one player. If he get if he all of a sudden has injury issues or he just kind of flames out. This whole class wasted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and, and you know, maybe that's fine for them because
1: they have a stacked. Uh, um, they do not have a stacked farm system. The no, they do not. Yeah, I, and yeah, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't, hadn't read up on that much. Um, but
0: so that I believe they're an, now the new worst more... farm system. Oof yeah now that the brewer system us. is up i think the nationals are are now the new the new yeah. worst farm system but anyways continue. That's what,
1: that's what that makes makes that even riskier then though is is like now if this guy doesn't work that's just that's just wasted money um but i i think too you look at um consider the brewers moves that they make um during the off season there might there's like little bits of you know moves and trades from the minor league system that like maybe fly under the radar for a lot of people, but the brewers get back um, international signing money in them. That's part of how they're able to do this too. I know, I know a lot of it's based off of,
0: I believe market size in in recent years.
1: Oh, has it? Okay. Yeah.
0: In the last CBA, like it, like it is a straight up hard cap on the international sign. Like it's, it's um, based on like your draft position, like market size and things like that. So um, I don't think you're able to trade international signing bonus since the last CBA. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to cut you
1: off there. But I'm I, just like, wait, a no, minute. that's all right. Then, then I, uh, I defer back
0: to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a little behind the times, apparently.
0: Yeah. Another big prospect in this class, Luis Lara, an outfielder from Venezuela. Uh, when they were like first scouting him, he was like five foot six. Uh, like you know smaller dude because again you're scouting these guys when they're like 14 15 years old and now he's up to five nine Um, so he's getting a little bit a little bit bigger Um, but uh, he's an outfielder that they signed and uh, he's someone who looks like he could be a pretty solid uh, player and a pretty solid prospect he's ranked number 38 on baseball america's big board Um, and i mean he's someone a Great athlete, has a lot of tools, probably the best athletes or one of the best athletes in the entire international class. Um, Very, very fast, uh, strong throwing arm, um, you know, has some surprising power for his size. But, I mean, like this is a prospect that, like, again, doesn't make a whole bunch of headlines, you know, like Severino and Burrios are making the headlines with this class. But Laura is someone, you know, who – I suppose as someone a little bit like Hedbert, you know, slightly lower on the, on the signing bonus side, but has a whole bunch of tools and is a great athlete. And if you're able to develop them and keep that hit tool going, you could have a really, really good prospect.
1: Yeah. And again, continues to go to um, just the, the quantity of bringing in as many guys as you can and see, you know, what ends up hitting. Um, I, one point though, um, I would really like to see is some of these um, kind of pitching uh, international guys. Cause that is mm. something that the brewers, if you look at all the, you know, the top 30 um, international guys uh, for the brewers, nearly all of them are hitting prospects. And that seems to be kind of what they've targeted a little bit in the past, really outside of Abner Uribe, who's was part of the 2018 class. Um, and they did get, uh, they got Castaneda as a international signing um the year before that, but he's kind of a guy who's just kind of like crept his way up. I don't know that um yeah, he's on the top thirty. I don't know what he actually projects as. Um, but I would like to see some of these um pitching guys that they got. Um uh, who's the one? Um I, I know there was one I read about has a big old curveball um coming
0: Left handed pitcher.
1: Yes, also from Venezuela. Left handed pitcher with a big sweeping curveball. That's uh, that's something I would love to see um but that's where i'd like to see i guess a little bit more of this kind of click um because if anything that's just maybe one of the and maybe that's an area they haven't really fully focused on um but um i'd like to see if any of those are the lower guys who you know end up kind of developing into something more
0: yeah and that's kind of the thing with the international market i mean pitchers like Pitchers are risky in general. I mean, there is so much variance with with Mm -hmm. guys that actually end up succeeding and and guys that are supposed to succeed but flame out. Um, And the international market, there is so much more volatility than than even your regular draft and and your regular pitching prospects. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of volatility. Um, You know, guys working out or or not working out, I mean, it is – it is tough, and you're really you're really just guessing as to whether a guy is going to turn out or not. Like you have pretty much no idea what was a 16 year old pitcher like that. Um, so I mean, right. they, they, like they got a couple of guys, and a couple of them are a little bit older. Um, like there's a there's Roman Perez, uh, who is the oldest signing out of the group at 21 years old, uh, the Dominican Republic. He's six foot four. Uh, right-handed pitcher. Um, so, I mean, he's someone that, you know, is a little bit older. Maybe uh, that there's a bit more of a, of a belief in him and, or maybe like they could be a bit more aggressive with his assignment. Uh, but yeah, I got Anthony Flores, uh, the pitcher out of Venezuela with a big curveball. ball. I think he's got a starter's arsenal. He's got like three or four pitches, I believe. Um, so he's someone that, that could be interesting as well. And Yeah. But, but it's just pitching in the international market is so volatile. It's almost like not that worthy of investing or at least not investing big money in, you know, Mm -hmm. like like you're not really going to sign any of these pitchers to two, $3 million deals, two, $3 million bonuses, given the volatility of them being a pitcher at 16 years old. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even heck, even, uh, college guys high school guys in the states are tough to project as it is yeah, so. and, it, and like um,
0: high school pitchers in the in the draft is like the most volatile group like everyone's kind right. of hesitant of drafting 18 year old pitchers so now you're going mm-hmm. two years younger and you you're probably making commitments to these guys a year or so in advance so like 15 14 years old you're trying to make a commitment to a bonus to a pitcher it's like that's a freshman in high school And you're Mm -hmm. trying to commit like a million dollars to to this kid as a pitcher. Like that just, it doesn't really happen, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. But as we've seen um, every once in a while, an international pitcher uh, with a a nice smile does kind (laughs) of break through a little bit and turn out to be something in the major league level. So
0: who knows? That's Freddie. Yeah. Anything can happen, but like Freddie was not like a top five prospect in that draft class. Freddie was a throw-in in in, in an Adam Lynn trade. He was a lottery ticket. The Brewers just lucked out that he Mm -hmm. had an incredible work ethic and an incredible curveball and just turned out to be a stud. Um, Mm -hmm. They were able to develop him into a stud. But, like, that's more the exception than the rule. Like, like Freddie Peralta's, like, you don't just find that, you know? Right. So... But plenty plenty to go on there with the, the international signing period. And, you know, it may take a while until we see some of these prospects. And the brewers have really started investing into it a lot in recent years. And, you know, we're starting to see the fruits of some of that kind of come up through the lower levels of the miners and, and finally work their way uh, across. So uh, speaking of prospects, I want, I want to kind of talk about this because I had this go up. I know it was on a different site. It was not reviewing the brew. Um, but it was, but it was on a prospects 1500. I did a top 50 Brewers prospects list. Um, this is is my third list I've done. I started, I did one for them January last year, then a midseason update. Uh, and now I got one January of this year. So I I think we should talk a little bit about this, the top 50 list. Cause I mean, I don't know. It's January. We've got no baseball, but the (laughs) minor leagues is going to be going on. So let's talk some prospects, uh, at least for yeah. a little bit here. As you know, Matt, I am big on the Hedbert Perez hype train. And this this year, I finally put him in the number one prospect spot. He is my number one Brewers prospect on my list. It, that's the worst kept secret
1: in <laughs> Brewers, Twitter, Facebook. It's baseball, not even a secret. I do not even try to hide it. No, you sure don't. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I I mean, we've all seen exactly just the talent that's there. And even, even though he, you know, struggled to find his footing at first um, you know, you've got a guy right behind him in Garrett Mitchell who struggled for even longer in uh, his promotion to double a. And so uh, I don't, I, you know, I have nothing against flipping those two in a prospects list by any means. And so Hedbert is true. Both of those guys really, You know, if they uh, are full potential, are true five-tool guys. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, like, it's a high ceiling versus a higher ceiling um, if you're looking at Mitchell versus Perez. So, um, yeah, we know you love him. We all love it. We all want to see him. So, um, hopefully, we get a chance to see him at High A Wisconsin this year. Hopefully. Just saying. When when, when he gets
0: that promotion, I am going. I am making the drive, the the two-hour drive, whatever it is up there. And I am heading to the game because I got to, man. I got to. I hope, yeah. to, I just hope they're not on the road when they make that promotion. Um, yeah, but, anyways, um, but yeah, so then, uh, Garrett Mitchell comes in at number two, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, I, I think Hedbert just jumped him because, I mean, yeah, Mitchell struggled a little bit in the promotion of double A. I mean, part of it was, uh, you know, nagging injuries and illness, uh, that, that kind of kept him out, but, um, yeah it's just you know Hedbert really dominating when when he was out there and then I mean he had a rough like first week in transition to low a but like in his second week he did extremely well so you know I, I think that just pushed him over the top there and then Aaron Ashby comes in at number three he moves all the way up to three and into tier one um and Ashby I mean he's He's ready to go, man. Like he came up last year after his appearance on the cold brew podcast. And he just, I mean, his, his debut didn't go super well, even though we still won that game, but uh, he was phenomenal. And he's going to be a part of the staff this year. Yeah. hundred um, percent. It,
1: it, it'll just be a question of whether, He's in the rotation right away. Will he be part of a six-man? Will he start off relieving and fill in as needed? Um, his his 2022 is going to be interesting to try and project, but no doubt whatsoever, he will not be on top prospects lists very long uh, once we get into the season because he will have graduated very, very quickly. Um, my question to you is, so just to look a little deeper into your list. Um, you've got Sal Freelich, uh last year's first rounder as mm-hmm. your first guy, number four, but the first guy in tier two, there've been a lot of sites who have been like throwing him honestly as, as high as number one um, I've seen here and there. Um, but if not one of the top couple, um, what was, what was your reasoning for keeping him down in tier two versus one?
0: Yeah, I think for um, Freelick. Um, it's wanting to see kind of a, a little bit more. because I mean, we only had a, a few games, um, like, like a few weeks of him. Um, and I don't know, like I, I'm still not super sold on Freelick. I mean, I know a lot of people already are like they're sold on, on his bat. They're sold on everything. Uh, I'm not quite as sold yet. Um, he doesn't have as much power. Like Mitchell and Perez, they have a ton of raw power and they have a ton of power to to tap into. Freelick doesn't as much. I mean, he's, he's got a really good hit tool um, and he's got great speed um, and he's kind of more of a, of a top of the order guy, but he doesn't have that, that kind of uh, that, that kind of power to back up his game. So, you know, if he had the hit tool and the power and the speed, then I think he'd be up there in tier one, but the the power just kind of isn't quite there. I don't know if it's going to be, um, but that that's kind of, you know, wanting to see a little bit more out of Freelick as well. Cause I mean, we only had him for uh, a few weeks. He got drafted and then, and then showed up a little bit, uh, a little bit later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It was, it's just uh, interesting to see how how crazy high some uh, sites have already put him. So, um, but I definitely get wanting to, you
0: know, see a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, and, and I mean, keep in mind, in that. like like Prospects 1500, like these lists, they also base a lot of it off fantasy baseball value. Ah. Um, so, like, that's kind of been like a lot of like the, the bigger focus with some of these lists. Um, it's like, yeah, it's like we're talking about, you know, fantasy uh fantasy baseball like list for like drafts and like whatnot um Mm -hmm. so Hedbert and Garrett Mitchell are going to be much better fantasy players because they bring that power uh whereas Freelick, I mean Freelick's a great real life player you know I mean the, the you know top of the order value like like there's plenty of value in that um but you know just hitting for for a decent average um not bringing as much power um doesn't quite have as much of a value as hitting for average, hitting for power and bringing the speed uh, like those other guys. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And when you're looking at fantasy baseball, if, if you're going to
1: take a guy who um, isn't going to get you home runs, isn't going to get you RBIs in those stat categories, he better at the very least be guaranteed to compile a ton of stolen bases to go along with his uh, average and run scored. So, if it and I, he is, he's got that plus speed. We'll give him that. But um, I guess I'm, I don't know how well that guarantees um, to translate into stolen base numbers. So, um, yeah, it, uh, so I then I would definitely understand if you throw the fantasy aspect in there, I can see the hesitation as well.
0: Yeah, so but one guy I think, um, I think we got to talk about his placement on this list. He was on the podcast last week, Joey Weimer. I had him at number seven. Um, and I mean, he raised his stock a ton. Um, when I when I did my midseason update last year, it was like right in like the first like two days of his hot stretch, like just beginning. So, like, I Cause like he was doing just kind of like, okay, like nothing really kind of super stand out ish up until that point when I had to do my mid season update. And then I posted it and he was like 31. And then mm-hmm. he just goes on this absolute tear. And then like the ranking at 31 just seems so dumb and stupid. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, but it, he ends up now moving into the top 10 here uh, coming in at number seven. Do you think seven is, too high or too low, or or just right for Weimer?
1: I think it's just right, personally. Um, I I have that. It was amazing what that guy did, and it was great to see him step into Arizona Fall League and kind of just continue dominating. He had like two games where he didn't, uh, he like one for eight or 0 for eight or something like that, and he was like, ah, no, I'm good, I'm warmed up, and then just tore it up until he ended up with that uh, finger injury. Um, but I still, I would be like, if this were my list too, I just want to see that the next year of it, because he was, he was drafted knowing he was going to be a little bit of a project. It looks like he was able to kind of tap into what he needed to, to get some consistent success offensively. Now he, is he going to be able to continue doing that is, are, are those mechanics going to kind of carry over, um, that he was able to figure out if he does. I mean, that guy shoots all the way to the top, top few, Um, but definitely I, I, I very much agree with that. And looking at where he's kind of sitting, he's right below Ethan small, who's a little bit more established. Um, He's right above um, Hefferson Cuero and Tyler black who aren't. And so his positioning right there seems honestly seems about perfect to me.
0: Yeah, and I think I mean with with all these other prospects I mean you had, you had Bryce Terang at five small at six um, you know free the, the first round pick last year Ashby who's you know we know what he's done Garrett Mitchell first round pick Heather Perez, you know you know you know what, what he is as a prospect you know all those guys are, are really kind of you know established you know top group prospects uh, for for the for the brewers. And Weimer is just kind of like joining that group. And he had all the success in low A and high A. Um, And now for him, the challenge is going to be repeating this. Because he did this just over a two-month stretch. So it's like, was this a hot two-month stretch? Or is this legit? Now, if you listen to the podcast last week and in talking with him last week, I feel like it is. I feel like he's got it in there. And and he's got more that, that he can tap into. Um, and, and, you know, he talked about the adjustments that he made and, um, how it was really kind of a, a mechanical thing that Xavier Warren told him about, he told him, Hey, get, get a little bit lower in your stance. Um, and he did. And then all of a sudden we started hitting home runs left and right. So, you know, it, it was kind of a mechanical change rather than just luck. I feel that, that he's able to, to lift it in the air more and have more success. So, I feel like it's legit. And then once we see it more from him this year and he keeps on, you know, if he keeps on hitting 295 with uh 25 plus homers and and 30 stolen bases, I mean, not only is he gonna jump up this list, but he's gonna jump through the system very quickly. Yeah.
1: And double A so often seems to be that make or break for guys. It is um, as to like whether or not they're gonna be like true dudes in the system. Um, or if they're going to kind of stall out there. Um, it was interesting to hear, um, Antoine Kelly, when we had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, talk about the, we asked him the difference between low A and high A, and he said nothing. It's, it's the same. Um, Joey Weimer, uh, went a little bit more in depth when he said that, um, the bigger difference within the pitchers is that the high A guys, uh, are just a little bit better in their control. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've, you know, if you're, Got a fastball coming up and in in low A, it might be because the guy just literally has no control. In high A, it might might be a little bit more of a purpose pitch. But in general, he seemed to act like the pitching itself between the two like didn't have as big of a difference. That is not going to be the case at Double A. You're going to get those guys who know how to get guys out. And if Weimer is successful there, I feel like that'll be the official okay. He is now the real deal. We can, we can really, really believe in this kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're successful there, you're going to be a big leaguer. I mean, that, that's yep. what Garrett green, a friend of the podcast has told us a couple times before. Like if you are successful in double a, you are going to be a big leaguer. Um, so that's really going to kind of be the true litmus test and Garrett and and the Biloxi shuckers should probably see Weimer at some point this year. I'm not sure if he'll start there. Or, or if he'll spend a few weeks at high A to begin with, but uh, Weimer is, is going to end up at Double A at some point this year. Yeah, so really excited to see what he does there. Excited to see Hefferson Cuero. He's there at number eight. Um, he had a really good debut in the Arizona Complex League. Walked more than he struck out. Stole a couple bases. Really strong defender. Hit three oh nine. Uh, you know, with a OBP over four hundred, slugging five hundred. I mean. Really, really good stuff. Very high ceiling, Um, but catchers take a little while to develop. Uh, He's still got a long ways to go, but he's looking good. Um, Then you kind of you got Tyler Black there at nine. Then you get into tier three. Uh, You got a number of really good prospects there. Mario Feliciano, your man, falling down to to 13 with the shoulder injury he had this year. I'm sorry, man, but I, I had to put him a little bit a little bit further down after that injury.
1: Yeah, that's all right. And that's understandable. Um, But 2022 for him is going to be uh, just making, showing in AAA that he's all recovered from it, that that uh, nice little stretch that he went on at Arizona fall league um, is the real deal. And then he could be a guy who ends up getting called up to uh, play in more than just one game um, in 2022, like he did in 2021 um, where he had the, uh, the pivotal, run scored in one of those games against the Dodgers. Um, I believe that was Dodgers, right? Um, Dodgers or Padres. It was one of those two series. One of those two. Um, I don't remember, but I, I am looking forward to the future. Cause as we know, I do have a type, um, the future <laughs> Cuero Feliciano tandem battery that we'll get in like, you know, 2024 or five or whatever. Um, just a man. Oh, that's just, that's going to be some great, just catching offense that the brewers have uh, coming in the future. They getting, get, I'm getting, getting excited. pretty excited over there. Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> um, I, I, one of the guys that I just, I feel like I just kind of started hearing a little bit more about night. I see more and more people um, talk about be, uh, guys in the industry being interested in it is your number 14, Henry Mendez. Mm-hmm. He is, he's really starting to open some eyes. I feel like um, over the last year or so.
0: Yeah, he really has. I mean, he was promoted mid-season from the Dominican Summer League. Like like he was just signed last January and he was brought stateside pretty much immediately. I mean, he had 17 walks, just 12 strikeouts in the entire season, hit 316. Um, I mean, he he got even better when he came up to to the Arizona Complex League. Um he put up phenomenal numbers in the DSL. Like, when you – like, you do not see 17-year-olds that just signed get promoted stateside midseason. Like, you just don't see that. Um, those guys are, are fast-tracked, and, and, like, those guys can move through a system quickly, and those are generally, like, really top prospects. So, Mendez is someone that uh, I think could really be shooting up, shooting up lists – uh, as time goes on, he's number 14 now, um, but I think by the time the midseason update comes, we're going to see him uh, much higher um, if he continues to, to hit like he has. I mean, we'll probably see him in low A Carolina uh, either maybe to start the year, um, but, but at some point this season. Um, and it, I mean, as long as he hits, you can move up pretty, pretty dang quickly.
1: Yeah, and that almost speaks to uh, uh, just the crazy things that can happen in that international signing
0: class because he was the same class
1: as uh, Churio. Uh, yeah, and, and he was the lower
0: bonus guy. He he was like the number three prospect am- among that group, or, or number two prospect, and yeah, and he's above Churio on this list. Although Churio is also getting a lot of a lot of hype, and he had another really good season, but Churio did not get promoted stateside last right. year. Ex-
1: Yeah. And that's exactly the point is that like Churio is highly regarded. I mean, there's got, we, I talked about it earlier about um, how one of baseball America's guys thinks he's a, you know, future top 100 guy, potentially very soon. And Mendez is the one who got uh, who came stateside because he was so impressive. I mean, that, that pipeline, that international pipeline for the brewers right now is just, it is doing very, very well.
0: Yeah. Also from that international pipeline on this list, I mean, we've got Eduardo Garcia there at 10, um, you got Carlos Rodriguez at 19. I mean, he was signed a couple of, a couple of years ago. Um, but, I mean, he was in high A all this past year, and, and he had a solid season. Uh, another international signee, got Jeremy Vargas at 23, Ebner Uribe at 25, Victor Castaneda at 27, Miguel Sanchez, uh, Ernesto Martinez at 30. You know I love me some Ernesto <laughs> Martinez. He yes, is probably the most fun dude. Uh, ever steven cruz a, a pitcher in the dsl uh, who really kind of opened some eyes and, and opened my eyes i mean he looked fantastic uh put up some phenomenal numbers uh he's someone to keep an eye on as well um but like those international guys on this list you got luis medina jesus para uh, alberus ferrer um jesus torinos domingo mejia you got all these guys here in the in this in the lower portions of the top 50 again you can check out the whole list uh, at Prospects1500.com um, and, and check out my entire top 50 and, and the write-ups on all these guys. But, you know, like they've they've got some really good talent and they've developed the system and brought the system up from the depths, you know, from, from the bottom because of what they've done in the draft and what they've done in the international market. Yeah, I could, as we're as I'm
1: like staring at tier four, I, I feel like could throw out a semi bold prediction that Carlos Luna could just sneak into one of those like random, like bullpen call-ups that no one would see coming, but that's a guy who's been solid for the Brewers minor league system for a while. They brought him back into the minor league system last year. Um, and he was great. He did a really good job. He's, he's not, you know, regarded like a plenty of these other guys, but like, I just, I don't know. I get a good feeling about that guy. And I could just see him pop up and people go, who, who's that guy? He's the guy who's been, you know, holding things down in the lower levels of minor leagues for years. Um, I yeah. don't know. I just, I, I, I'm a big fan of him and I, I want to see him make his way up.
0: Yeah. Kind of same thing like uh, Jake cousins and Miguel Sanchez mm-hmm. last year, who just kind of popped up out of nowhere and turned out to be a uh, really good relievers. But yeah, I, I could definitely see that with, with Luna. Um, so, I mean, they got some, some really intriguing talents, um, you know, it's a great group. So, um, I'm really excited for this farm system and what we can see from these guys, uh, this year, uh, there's a couple trade proposals as well that have been kind of making the rounds, uh, on the internet. Um, and one of them, uh, I mean, we, we saw this in a Will Salmon's article, but uh, a couple of them include, Brandon Woodruff and I am just flabbergasted uh, that anyone would actually be legitimately proposing trading away Brandon Woodruff. Are you flabbergasted, Matt? I uh, flabbergasted.
1: (laughs) I I just, the most, the more we can say that word, the better. Uh, Let's be honest. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to trade a guy like, and I, I forget what the actual return was on that one. I remember reading it and not being impressed because a guy like Brandon Woodruff, who's had the success he's had for the last three years now is as young as he is, has as much control as he does. Uh, You, if you're going to trade him away and I get the Brewers have,
0: you know. (sighs) Yeah. I'm not on board with, with trading uh, Woodruff. I mean, one of the proposals here. Woodruff and Keston Hira for to the angels for Joe Adele and Jared Walsh. And I'm like, look, first of all, they bounced Albert Pujols out to make Jared Walsh a regular everyday player out there. Um, and I like Jared Walsh. I, I think he's solid and I think he'd be an improvement over Rowdy Tellez. Um, And, and then, I'm, and then you got Joe Adele who, I mean, who he, he could be a superstar outfielder, but at the same time, you have Yelich under contract, you have Kane under contract, you have Renfro under contract, um, you have your center fielders of the future already kind of lined up. Although you know that again, that hasn't stopped David Stearns before. <laughs> but like, do you really need to trade Woodruff to to get a first baseman? and a potential superstar outfielder. I mean, you already have a bunch of potential superstar outfielders already lined up um, and you already have one established superstar and Yelich. even though I know this last year sucked, but still um, like, do you really need to do that? And as, as Will Salmon says, there are easier ways to obtain a corner outfield bat. you know, like mm. you don't have to do this people.
1: Right. And I, I, I'm a fan of Joe Adele. I think he's going to be good, but he has struggled in his uh couple cups he of struggles coffee with strikeouts. as they
0: say. Like, yeah.
1: Do we yeah, really we, want that? <laughs> no. <laughs> We've had be, enough of those problems. Yeah. In this theoretical trade, we're trading that problem only to get that problem back. Uh, yeah. If you're looking at how Kesten here has been recently, but again, <laughs> I, I just to me, it feels like a get Jared Walsh helps the win now mentality. Um, and we'll talk about an,
0: uh, another one of those situations Woodruff, in a which, little bit. Which hurts the windmill right. mentality.
1: And just and look at what starting pitchers command for a return in general. In, in any, really any age gap. I know I was talking about younger pitchers earlier. But I mean, look at, uh, I mean, even older pitchers that are established. Um, it, you have to pay, whether it's through contract dollars or through return of prospects, players, etc., You have to pay to get good pitching and not just one guy. It's just, yeah, Yeah. I don't think either team says yes to that deal.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, there's no way the Brewers should, should do that at all. And then there was another proposal. It's like, Oh, the Brewers trade Woodruff to the white Sox. Again, again with the White Sox. Like I don't know what it is. Like I don't know if this dude's like a White Sox fan or what. But like everyone's all about, oh, you know, Woodruff going to the White Sox. White Sox are going to get Woodruff. Blah blah blah. Like I've seen that on Twitter for the past like year or two, and I don't understand it. Like I know they want Woodruff, but like my god, and they (laughs) offer up Andrew Vaughn, outfielder slash first baseman, uh, number three overall pick a couple years ago, and Garrett Crochet, left-handed pitcher, eleventh overall pick in 2020 um i like crochet i like andrew vaughn i do not like trading woodruff to get them
1: yeah i i think that's closer to the realm of possibility i'm also big fan i'm a big big Andrew Vaughn fan not just because of my fantasy team um but i just i i like that guy's potential um so i think you're closer to the realm because both i mean are you they're both younger guys with, you know, a lot of um, room left to grow, and a lot of uh, and a high ceiling for both. But yeah, it just, I don't know. I, again, like I, I just feel like a guy like Woodruff is going to command a little bit more than that. It's, it, I don't know. It, this maybe this is me doing the valuing my own guy too much because we all have a tendency to do that. Um, yeah. But I just, if you look at again, just past deals that involve you know pictures of that nature feels like maybe there's just one more piece that's at least that needs to be added to that to make it feasible
0: yeah and honestly for for david stearns i think with, with what he has with with woodruff with what it would take to get him stearns is going to need something unreasonable like he's going to ask for something incredibly high while this like you can call this a fair trade quote-unquote David Stearns doesn't need to accept a fair trade for Brandon Woodruff. Mm-hmm. Like he, he needs you to overwhelm him, you know, like, like you got to throw something big in there and, and overwhelm him. If he's going to move one of the pieces of his foundation, Um, like like he doesn't need to, to be fair in what he's asking. He can ask for the moon and he should ask for the moon. If it's going to cost Woodruff. And I, I love, I love Will Salmon's reaction. He's like, again, with Woodruff, like, like what is wrong with you people? <laughs> And, and the who says no, is like, the Brewers, while installing a Brandon Woodruff Appreciation Day for season ticket holders. <laughs> and yeah, I'm I'm with you, Will, 100%. Like, say no to this, and apparently we need more Brandon Woodruff Appreciation, because if people, I, I don't know if these guys are Brewers fans, but if you're willing to deal Woodruff, like, and willing to deal from this part of your foundation already at, at this point, like, you need to to chill out and appreciate what you got a little bit more because this doesn't happen often. In the history of the Brewers, we have never had a pitching staff like this. We've never had a combination of guys with a talent like Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta all together, plus Hauser and Lauer and Ashby and Small to fill out the rotation. Like That's the most ridiculously talented group that we've ever had in any rotation in Brewers history. Like, Don't just trade your top guys just because you can, like, or or just because you you need a bat. So let's trade our, our, one of our best pitchers, like you can get bats different ways, man. You don't have to deal Woodruff to get one. And like these guys that you're getting, like, yeah, like Vaughn is cool, but he's not an established star player. I mean, Walsh, we've seen him be good for like a year or two. Adele has, he's been a major prospect, but he's not an established star player. Like if you're going after like a, uh, like a Matt Olson or Nolan Arenado or like something like that, then like maybe I I could see another star like player becoming in play because Woodruff is an established star. So if you're going to be trying to compete and add to your team still, you're going to be trading him for another established star. And the combinations of of Jared Walsh and Joe Adele and Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet don't really meet that criteria. Right, exactly. The Brewers are in a competitive window right
1: now, a highly competitive window. You are not going to give up a guy who, if it weren't for the Brewers having the reigning NL Cy Young winner in Corbin Burns, uh, Woodruff is a bona fide ace. He is an ace. You're not going to trade your ace in that situation for someone who might help you compete in, like you said, Walsh or Vaughn. Like as, as much as we like those guys, there's no guarantee versus uh, compared to like you mentioned an Olsen or someone like that, that they're going to just step in and power you through to um, a world series or something like that. Losing Brandon Woodruff, Yeah, we talk about the um, pitching depth, but that's a risky move to do, to ship away a guy who could be an ace for to improve another part of the roster. And so, again, that's why that return has to be really good.
0: Yeah, and and just because you have other elite pitchers in Burns and and Peralta doesn't mean you you should just be so willing to give up uh, another elite pitcher in Brandon Woodruff. and. right especially given the history of the Brewers and how they've had a shortage of elite pitchers over the years, hold on to as many as you can, you know, just don't trade them. Um, That's just kind of a a general rule of thumb. I I think we should uh, stick to. So it's a good one. Yeah. I I think it's uh, I think it's smart, logical, you know, don't trade your best players for (laughs) underwhelming returns. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it pays <laughs> off for him. Uh, so um, one there, there's one other proposal here that came out in the, uh, in the athletic as well. This was proposed to Jim Bowden. Um, and uh, Tyler um, on, a, on our site wrote a kind of response to it, but This is a gist of of the proposal. So the Brewers trade Josh Hader to the New York Mets. This is a proposal. Brewers trade Josh Hader to the Mets in exchange for Jeff McNeil, Dominic Smith, and JT Ginn. Now McNeil has been at the big league level for the past couple of years, had, had a couple of really good seasons, had a down year in 2021, uh, but he's kind of a utility guy, can kind of play all over, could be a second baseman, maybe third, um, and and can play some outfield. you got Dominic Smith, who came up as a first baseman, was pushed off the position because Pete Alonzo was there in New York, uh, so he's played a lot more outfield. Uh, but he was kind of a, a big prospect that kind of hasn't quite fully put it all together yet. Um, and then you got JT Ginn, uh, a pitching prospect. He was like a first or second round pick a couple of years ago um so it's an interesting proposal and it's for josh Hader, who is kind of a bit more on the trade block certainly a lot more than brandon woodruff um but with, with the way haters price is going and, and with what he is as a reliever um th- this is something where it, it's a bit more interesting to to talk about and look at it as a potential trade
1: yeah this is a quite a bit harder to turn down i'm I'm kind of a fan of it. Um, I I think Dominic Smith and Jeff McNeil, there's where we're talking. We've got a little bit more established guys. Um, Mm -hmm. McNeil. Yes. He did have a down year last year, but in general, he's been pretty solid for the Mets in the past. Um, Dominic Smith seems like he's got, um, a world of possible potential as well. Um, although he was uh, down a little bit last year as well. Um, they're guys that you would have to potentially like force fit a little bit for the Brewers. Smith, like you said, hasn't been playing first base recently because of the emergence of Alonzo. But he did uh, play just as much first as outfield before that. Um, We were talking a little bit before we started recording about the fact that you would then have him platooning with, um, Telles and they are both lefties, but Telez at times has a little bit of reverse splits. So that maybe would be something that actually could work. It's not something the Brewers generally do. Obviously with McNeil, you'd possibly be looking at him um, to be inserted into third base, probably more than anything. And I know a lot of us are big fans of the strides that Luis Urias took in 2021, but is he, how confident are you as a Brewers fan that he is like your diehard or I should say ride or die third baseman going forward. I just, I I don't know how hundred percent confident I am in that. I don't know how confident the Brewers are in that. They did bring in Eduardo Escobar after all. Um, And so I wouldn't mind seeing him share some time with him there and also potentially back up Colton Wong at second, if he ends up having, um, any injury issues again in 2022, if anything, I, I would have wished that JT Ginn was a little bit farther along in the system. and would be a little bit closer to contributing because he has not made it past, um, high a yet. And so it sounds like a guy who is going to be really good down the road. Uh, but if he were a little bit closer to contributing for the brewers and helping them in the shorter term in reaching that world series, then I might be a little even more likely to pull the trigger. Um, It would be, it would have to be something where the brewers work creatively um, as a result of this trade, but I don't, I don't hate it compared to especially some of the other Josh Hader
0: proposals we've seen in the past. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, I don't hate it either. Um, You know, looking at these guys, I think that's pretty good value for Hader. I think that's fair value For him and and what you're getting back. And I think that's something that the Brewers would definitely consider accepting like like that level of a return. But as you mentioned, the the fit is interesting with, with some of those players positionally. But keep in mind, David Stearns hasn't really paid much attention to positional fit before. You know, he signed Colton Wong when they had a second baseman in Keston here. And they're like, well, Keston, we're going to move you to first base. And, you know, like, hey, we've got Travis Shaw at third base. Well, we're going to go trade for Mike Moustakas and and move Shaw over to second. You know, he doesn't really care about positional fit. You know, he's going to get the bat, get the ball player, and they'll they'll figure out the defensive positioning later. Now, if the designated hitter gets added, that certainly helps with a lot of these guys with, with fitting McNeil and Smith and uh, Telez and Hira, and Urias all into the lineup every single day, or, or as often as you want them in the lineup. So that could certainly help. Um, with, with Urias being, you know, with your point on Urias being an everyday guy, uh, when David Stearns talked at his end-of-season press conference, he said that he believed Urias is deserving of an everyday job, that, that he's proven he's capable of handling an everyday role in the starting lineup. So I think the Brewers are, are per, perhaps a bit more convinced uh, that he can handle third base every day and, and having him be their, their regular third baseman uh, because I mean, he's not moving back to short as long as Willie Adamas is in the lineup. Uh, you don't need to put him at second because you have Colton Wong there. And I don't think he can play outfield. And even if he could, you got three guys making big money out there. Um, and Urias is not a first baseman. Um, so third base is really kind of his position and he played it extremely well defensively. Um, and he showed the extra power this year and, you know, as Stern said, he's deserving of an everyday role and that's really kind of the one for, for him to take. And and if that's what Stern says, then, you know, that that's what the Brewers believe. So I think they believe he's capable of it. Now, do they believe that McNeil would be a big enough upgrade to make this trade worthwhile? and push Urias back into being a uh, part-time uh, super utility guy that, that just kind of plays all around the field. I'm not entirely sure on that. Um, maybe they throw Arias into the trade and they get something else back as well. I don't know. Um, that that That's also a possibility. But... Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see the fit right now, but at the same time, that hasn't stopped David Stearns before, so I could see it happening if, if the Mets are willing to do it. Yeah, it's it,
1: again with with one like this. It's do do the Brewers kind of look back at 2018 and go, you know what? All those guys that were able to play all these different positions and everything like that, it damn near worked for us. It almost got us into a World Series. Do we try something like that again? That's that's kind of the thought process I I imagine would have to take place in considering a trade such as this. So um, I don't know. It's it's certainly not a hundred percent chance that it would happen, but I definitely think it's it's way farther from zero percent chance of happening than pretty much anything else we saw proposed over the last couple days.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting trade. Um, You know. I I could see reasons for both sides to do it. I could see reasons for both sides to say no. Um, So, I mean, honestly, I think that means it's probably a pretty fair trade um, if that's the case. So, you know, really, it's, yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah.
1: Uh, But like you said, um, fair doesn't necessarily mean let's do it when it comes to David Stearns. That's a really good point.
0: Yeah. Stearns wants to be blown away by what he gets for, for Hader. Otherwise he's not going to do it, you know, cause I mean, he's got essentially the best reliever in baseball. He's got the best closer in baseball, Josh Hader. Um, he's won reliever of the year, three of the past four seasons, and he's left-handed and he's just been an absolute stud. So no reason to, tr- I mean, there, there are some reasons, you know, if you look at, you know, financially, you know, with, with his salary and whatnot and team controls value is never going to be higher, but at the same time, he's very valuable to just being on your team and just having him there in the bullpen role. And, you know, you can deal with, you know, either trading him for a little bit less of a prospect return, either next year or even if they want to let him walk in free agency and get a compensation pick, you know, like just having him on your team is incredibly valuable. And like the Brewers have no reason that it's like, Oh, we need to trade him. Uh, right now because of like on the field issues. No, like there's nothing on the field that makes you want to trade Josh Hader. There's no belief in regression uh, or, or things like that. Like he's fine. It's just a matter of his salary continuing to go up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's really it. Um And that that's again, what makes this a little bit more uh potential of happening than the Woodruff trades too is hater is getting so much closer to the end of that uh, uh, period where the brewers have control and so um, I, I would man what do you think just one of the final thoughts here what do you think the fan reaction would be if by the end of those six years hater just hits free agency and we end up getting nothing? For him, in the end, he ended up spending all those years performing admirably for us. But in the end, the Brewers walk away with nothing. What do you think the fan reaction ends up being then?
0: I don't know. I mean, a, a lot of it depends on what happens in the next two years. I mean, if the Brewers win a World Series, it doesn't really matter because they won a right. World Series. Yeah. Um, if they don't, um, I don't know. <sighs> I feel like on one hand, like you know, th- like there's gonna be your group of fans. I was like, you should have traded him when you had the chance. Um, but like, it's not like his like if his production falls off, like if all of a sudden he becomes like a four ERA type guy and, and like he's not a stud closer anymore, then it's like okay, you're you guys should have seen this coming, I guess, um, and you should have traded him when you had the chance. But if he keeps on succeeding. And you just keep them for all those years. Then it comes to free agency, and it's like, well, someone else offered him 20 million a season. We can't afford to pay that because we're also trying to pay Christian Yelich. We're trying to pay Corbin Burns. We're trying to pay Brandon Woodruff. We're trying to pay all these other guys, and we just simply don't have the money to pay $20 million to a closer. I think if they keep him through that and they just lose him in free agency because – probably the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees, or someone is going to come in and offer him a boatload of cash. I, I think people will be fine with, with that for the most part, except, I mean, they may call Mark Atnazio cheap. I mean, you're going to have that group of people, um, but like it's not going to be people being mad at Stearns for, for not trading him for prospects earlier, because like, this is the window. The, right. This is the window right now, the next three years, the next three years you have Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, uh, Willie Adamas, you've got everyone the, you got this whole core under contract. You got hater for the next two. So, you know, maybe it's like, Hey, we need to bring him back or try to extend them at least for one season more through 2024, obviously, depending on what happens with the world series chase, but you've got your core through then this is now don't trade hater for, you know, guys that, that aren't going to help in this window you know? And, and I, mean, I mean, that's where McNeil and Smith could come in. It's like, okay, like, you know, you're getting guys that can help out immediately. This makes sense. But like, for like just a package of prospects, not going to happen.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And that's, that's just the, the tough part about what you're trying to balance right now when it comes to Hater is you want to be competitive. Um, and he certainly helps you be competitive. And if you know, if you're never able to get anything back for him, well, at the very least, then you know the baton is passed to Devin Williams. Let's say, and you do you still are allowed to be competitive from a closing standpoint. And so, but then, but you then know, if that's the, the case, where where's your right. bridge? Right, right. But I mean, you know, we've got guys coming up. Maybe maybe Cousins ends up as that guy at that point. Maybe maybe the Brewers finally promote Luke Barker, and he ends up at the back of that bullpen <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, but it, it I, would, I would hope that most Brewers fans, yes, you're going to have a vocal minority who's going to be dead set on the Brewers should have traded him when they could. Like, it's, a, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that the Brewers never got anything for him before yeah. he left, right? I would hope most, and I would be in this boat, that most Brewers fans would um, just be happy with the fact that Josh Hader was here and allowed us to be competitive and got us close to or in who knows within the next couple of years, um, a world series. Um, and we utilize them while we had him. but we also understand how baseball and large and small markets work. And, you know, the likelihood of us keeping him forever was going to be low. So it, yeah, it, it, it's, if they, if he ends up moving on without having been traded at some point, I will, under, I will be understanding of it because you know what, at least he was on our side for a long time.
0: Yeah. And especially during, during the prime of his career. Cause I mean, once he gets that big contract and then, you know, you start getting into the, you know, later years, he's going to have a lot more mileage on his arm and they're, like they're like, other teams are going to be paying him for what he did when he was with the Brewers, mm-hmm. you know? So that, that's just really kind of where that where that comes in. I mean, you have your, your guys, you, you have Woodruff Burns and Hater. of those three How many do you think they're going to be able to sign to contract extensions? Probably Mm -hmm. one, maybe two, if they're lucky, but they're not signing all three. Right. And if
1: it's going to be two of three, you, you make it be the starters. Yeah. You you make it Woodruff and Burns. Yeah. That's what's so hard to lock down. It's you, a, a team like the Brewers doesn't get to sign free agent pitchers, um, to of you know burns or woodruff stature to contracts like you you extend them when you already have them um so if you've got those guys lock them up closer like i said you can find and we kind of already potentially have the replacement for him down the road um we don't necessarily potentially all right maybe um but much less of a guarantee that we have the replacements for both woodruff and burns already yeah. understand
0: and relievers are, are so volatile year to year um you know like they're like you sign a big name closer there's no guarantee that really they're going to be that much better than a lesser named closer you know mm-hmm. a closer that you're paying uh you know five six million or whatever that, that you just signed or, or a guy that, that came up from the minors i mean there's no guarantee that that the big name big money closer is going to be that much better um, over the course of the season, earn that many more saves or, or whatnots than than your other guy. I mean, it, it's a one inning position, and granted, Hader does it extremely well. Um, but are, are you going to pay 20 million dollars for that? No, w- would you be willing to pay 20 million dollars for a guy who can go six, seven innings all the time out there and Woodruff and Burns? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like you'd be willing to pay those prices for, for starters, but. I don't see the Brewers being willing to pay 20 plus million a year to Josh Hader. Right.
1: I mean, look at the guys we talked about at the top of this episode. Axford lasted two years. Henderson lasted two years. Um, yeah. K rod lasted a, a Three, few, four. but man, yeah. man, was he like on the borderline? But, of- they,
0: but those were all like one year deals too. Like they kept on like True. signing them back to like one year deals. They didn't sign. a big, massive contract right uh, Derek Turnbow good for like one and a mm-hmm. half years uh, Francisco Cordero good for one year um, oh that I'm still salty over that guy still salty um, but like all these closers most of them but, have had a shelf life of only a handful of years
1: right but you also saw them starting to fade even before like their, the end of their time with us You could tell things And that that shelf life That's exactly what you're talking about That shelf life was short We're lucky to have had hater Performing as a closer As well as he has For as many years as he has And that we potentially have another couple years Out of it But exactly like you're saying Any moment that could just go south Because that's yeah. what happens Very often except for with the absolute, absolute, like top tier 0.01% of relievers that carve out a very long career. And these days it happens even less.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so much turnover in bullpens and and relievers and, you know, you can have guys come up and they can be solid for a couple of years, but, you know, they're never really solid long enough to earn big time paydays and free agency and to earn long-term contracts um, it, it just kind of doesn't happen anymore. Remember, remember a couple years ago when the Colorado Rockies spent like a hundred million dollars on like a handful of bullpen arms and like every single one flamed out. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, granted it's Colorado, it, it, it's course. <laughs> um, but still it's like, it that's so much money to spend on bullpen guys that you really don't know what you're going to get year to year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it commit. It, it's why,
1: if the brewers don't commit long-term to hater as expected, it it shouldn't take anyone by surprise.
0: Yeah. So it's a, it's going to be very interesting decision. And uh, we'll see if uh, a trade comes about once this lockout finally ends, we're 50 days in um, and it has been 50 days too long in my opinion, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully we'll have baseball uh, coming up soon. I think we're about a month away or a little bit less than a month away from when pitchers and catchers are scheduled to report, but we will see what happens there. So I think uh, I think we've gotten a little bit long this week, um, but you know, well, we were short the past couple of weeks. So you know what? Uh, we're just making up for it. So I think that's a, a good spot to end it. Great, good discussion. I think on, uh, on yeah. Josh Hader and the, and the trade proposals there. So um, that'll do it for us this week. Um, Be sure to, of course, uh, follow the podcast account on Twitter at cold brew underscore pod Um, and follow us. I am at dgasper 24 and Matt is at MKE Matt 13. So uh, and also, of course, follow reviewing the brew at reviewing the brew. We actually just had a question come in on the uh, on the mailbag real quick, um, real quick. If the NLDH becomes a thing, I believe the Brewers sign a power bat. If it doesn't, they'll lean on here to play some first base with Rowdy for the lefty-righty platoon. That's my opinion. Thoughts? All right, well, if the NLDH becomes a thing, which I believe it will, um, yeah, I I could see the Brewers signing a power bat. In my dream opening day lineup, I had the Brewers uh, signing Nelson Cruz. Um, I think that would be a tremendous addition uh, for the DH. But yeah, if it doesn't, uh, if the DH doesn't come about this year, then they'll have to lean on Hura to play some first base with Rowdy, uh, and make a platoon out of it. I know they've said, you know, yeah, he could play some outfield, but with the addition of Renfro, uh, plus Tyrone Taylor, and, and you got David Dahl down there, I don't see Hura getting much time in the outfield. I don't see him getting much time at second. Um, so if there's no DH first base is really kind of the only option for Keston.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it it makes the most sense. I don't think there's any guarantee the Brewers uh go out and bring in a first baseman. Um, remember, Kesson here is still young. Um, he's got a prime chance to b- bounce back. Last year, we know um, he had um, he was dealing with everything that was going on with his mom. Um, it, it was it, it just it took him a while to. He had those stints though in AAA where he looked like he was ready to bounce back and then just never quite put it together in the big leagues. But we've seen what he can do in the past. And so I I have to believe the Brewers still think that that's there. Um, And that combined with how Rowdy looked at the end of last season. Yeah, I, I can see them absolutely starting the season with them as the first base tandem. And then if something doesn't work out, you know, shortstop wasn't working out. They made that move for Willie Adams real early in the season. They could do something similar to that um, if they feel like they still need to address first base.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with the DH. I mean, that'll be resolved when the walkout gets resolved uh, and we'll see what happens there, but uh, still got some, some time to wait on that. So again, they will do it for us this week on the cold brew pod. Be sure to follow, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts apple spotify anchor uh wherever you are um so you don't miss an episode again over the last couple of weeks we've had a couple of, of big-time players joey weimer uh, antoine kelly we had former brewer eric kratz on a couple of weeks ago um so a lot of really great stuff we we've had lately and um really hope you get a chance to to check those episodes out and, and continue listening new episodes every single week so Uh, We'll keep you up to date here on everything Milwaukee Brewers and and baseball here on the Cold Brew Podcast. And uh, we'll see you once again next week for another episode. See ya.